All right, as they make their way to uh, their classes, let me invite you to please open up a copy of God's Word. We're going to be looking together at uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. And you can find that on the, in the Pew Bible on page 807. Uh, this is going to be, begin a new series uh, studying this Gospel. Uh, it'll carry us all the way into the spring, uh, and we'll get several chapters into Matthew's Gospel. Uh, I'll talk later about uh, some of the aim and uh, the author uh, in future weeks, but uh, we're going to give some attention in these opening chapters building up through December on uh, the, the arrival of our, our Savior, our King Jesus, who was born uh, a man. Uh, we are grateful to, uh, to have a season of anticipation. Of course, we don't need uh, a church calendar or seasons. We have a fixed cycle. Uh, it's, it's just built in from creation. There is a seven-day week, and we work six and uh, labor, and then we rest and worship uh, on the last. Well, it's now the first day because of the resurrection. So that is our ongoing cycle. We focus on Jesus uh, throughout the year, and we're grateful for that. But especially this time of year, people are forced to think about Jesus. People who are shopping at even places like Target uh, have to listen to, to Christmas music and all of these truths and realities and promises and, and things about the Savior being sung and, and heard and, 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 and print and uh, you know, musicals and other things. This all culminating around the arrival of this, this God-man we call him, Jesus. We'll sing one of those carols uh, at the close, What Child Is This?, and we ask a question, what child is this? Well, Matthew's going to answer it for us, but we're going to sing praise. We're going to sing thanks at the close after we come to the Lord's table uh, for this child, for this king. It's also a time of year that people uh, not, not only sing and are forced to think about Jesus uh, from, you know, from a whole swath of, of individuals and communities, but it's also a time where folks often will read more of both Old and New Testament, uh, both the Hebrew Bible and our New Testament. And so you'll hear, we'll, we'll be, some of you are reading in the calendar and building up to Christmas, different passages from the Psalms and uh, from the Prophets. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll be reading from Isaiah about uh, this great promised uh, Savior that, we anticip- that they anticipated. They were looking forward. We are looking back. How do you connect those two? When I say those two, meaning Old and New Testament, well, it, it, they, don't, they don't actually have to be altogether connected as if there was some type of, you know, pretty little covered bridge that we need to preserve to, to do that. They're not that separate and distinct. It's, more, it's probably more appropriate. It's actually more accurate to think of the flow of God's uh, self-revelation in Scripture as a beginning in a brook. And then it, it flows into tributaries and rivers and a, a giant river. And then we're at the point now as we approach Matthew that uh, we, we're, in the, we're in the current. You know, there's, there's rapids. And uh, we find uh, in Matthew and in the Gospels and into the New Testament, the culmination, the beautiful things, the main character is, of course, uh, the, the God of the covenant and the mediator that he gave of that covenant that we already have been singing and reflecting on our Messiah, King Jesus. There was an important promise, if we'll remember in our study of 2 Samuel, there was a promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that from him would come a descendant from him who would be raised up as an offspring to establish a kingdom. 2 Samuel 7.16 says, And your house, speaking of King David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established 
forever. So let's, let's open up the New Testament to the Gospel of Matthew. And let me invite you to stand as we read uh, these 17 verses. As I try to read the names in these 17 uh, verses. Bear with me if you would. Hear this though, it is the Word of God. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed by the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconah and his brothers at the same time in the deporta- deportation to Babylon. And after the dep- deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shel- Sheltiel, and Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of uh, Abidud, and Abidud the father of Eli- Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zed- Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of, of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let me ask uh, God's blessing. So join with me in prayer. Father, simply put, uh, would you uh, forgive us our sins? Would Would you please clear our minds and hearts and ears to what we will hear? Would we please, by your spirit, recognize your voice and return to you and leave here rejoicing. For we ask this for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen. Well, indeed, it is that time of year where people are setting up uh, Christmas decorations. And uh, each day you go out to, or, you know, a couple times a week, you go out to your mailbox and lo and behold, what's there? Christmas cards. Well, that was, you know, maybe it's, you know, it's, it's waning a little bit. I know, I know. And, and you're not going to get one from the Albies this year. It's not because you were excluded. And, and, uh, and, and I'm sure we'll resurrect that in future years. Uh, you know what it's like. When I, when I was growing up as a kid, you know, we didn't have social media. Uh, so, you know, we would see these cards from people that would come in. And my mom had this little basket. It was set over in the corner in our kitchen. And she would, un, you know, undo them and put them in this, this basket. And 
And sometimes my brother and I would take them out and we'd just kind of, you know, rifle through them. Sometimes it was a card and sometimes there was, you know, oftentimes a picture of their family. Hadn't seen them in a year, uh, maybe since the last photo. And, and you might you even see a long letter in there about, you know, how, how Junior's new favorite color is blue. And, and how all these kids that are far more ma- marvelous and amazing than, than my brother and I were for my parents... We'd go through this list, and inevitably I would be, you know, looking through this and saying, okay, so, like, remind me again, how do you know these people? How do we know these people? Are we related to them? Right? What, 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 when was the last time we saw these people? Some ways, I think that's how we might approach Matthew's gospel. Uh, it was pretty hard for me to pronounce those names. Here's what I want to answer. What what are these titles? As we read this passage, these titles for Jesus. The second question is, you see it listed in the order of service. Who are these people? And then how how are we related to them? And I promise this is going to be more exciting than your your, your distant great Aunt Edna in Boise, Idaho, or whatever's going on. You know, it's like, you know, you have these distant cousins and, and you know, it's hard for you to have a reference point. This has got a reference point. This is important, I promise. So the first is, what about these titles? What about these names for Jesus that Matthew, inspired of God, opens up? Now, it's been a long period, 400 years uh, of silence. And then Matthew is recording for us, uh, you know, just the, the beauty of the culmination of the Lamb of God and Jesus, the Messiah. The whole sermon we, we could just spend on this opening verse, I won't, but these, these four titles that are given here by Matthew, Jesus, Christ, and yes, those are separate, okay? I, and I know people often refer to it as, as one, but there is Jesus, and he was not always known as Jesus Christ, he is Jesus the Christ, and then he is a son of David and a son of Abraham. Uh, not a son, excuse me, the son of David, he is the son of Abraham, as Matthew tells us here. So let's work through these. Hopefully this will help us, you know, connect back in with what that flow is of God's uh, redemptive history in Scripture coming into the New Testament now after the prophet Malachi, long period of silence in relationship to God's people. Probably doesn't surprise you that I'm somewhat, not somewhat, I'm definitely, those who know uh, me, interested in Old Testament history. After all, I named not one, but two of our children after Hebrew names. Uh, and we just read some of those names. The two kings were, uh, were David and Josiah. And so I, I obviously get pretty fired up and excited about uh, that history. But the greatest thing that you could give uh, your kid, arguably, uh, in, in maybe a disguised kind of way, is Joshua. And I'll explain more in just a moment. Now, my in-laws who were here for a few weeks aren't here today. So I'll use this opportunity to tell you that they once had a dog prior to Krista coming along. And the dog's name was Josh. That's weird. Okay. No, no, no. Some of you are laughing, but I'll tell you this right now. If you go look at the top names for dogs right now, some of your children have the same names, young adults, young parents. Joshua, Joshua, or in the Hebrew, Yeshua, Joshua in the, in the Greek, rendered here, Jesus, right? Je- Jesus, Yeshua, is a Hebrew name that means Yahweh, the Lord saves, or the Lord is our salvation. 
That would be a pretty good name for a dog. Uh, here's Joshua. He's, you know, the Lord is his salvation and ours. No, the Lord saves. No, seriously, Jesus, because he gives, he has given this name as Jesus because he will take away something. He will save something. Jesus, we are told uh, in Scripture with anticipation, looking forward and back, that he will save his people from their their boredom, their chaos. He is given the name Jesus because he will save his people uh, from their crimes and their, their hopelessness. Well, yes and no, but ultimately, yes, some of you have said it right. It's Jesus, the one who saves people from their sin. I need that. Do you? I need a savior. I'm not him for me or anyone. Then there's this title, not only of Jesus, but the Christ. Christ is a word that means uh, anointed or Messiah, the anointed one. As referenced earlier, as we said uh, when we were reading together the confession, our Westminster Standards, the catechism answer was that he was given this name as our mediator, the Christ, because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit beyond measure. And what did we see there? He was set apart and equipped for these offices for his church, which are prophet, priest, and king. In addition to that, we we know that he is a perfect king because of that son of David, the fulfillment of a promise. Many, of course, in Israel at the time, being oppressed by the Romans, uh, having other turmoil and problems, uh, they wanted the fulfillment of a Messiah promised to come. But they wanted a militaristic king. Uh, to, to reign and to rule. And, and Christ uh, Jesus did not come uh, initially that way. Uh, so it doesn't seem, it, it seems odd that he suffers. It seems especially odd uh, to the ears of even the disciples that Jesus is going to die and suffer, not take the throne and be a king. Of course, he had a different plan through that suffering and through his victory. He would have a victory. He was anointed to a victory that far, far, far exceeds anything we could imagine. It's more substantial than any military conquest. He has anointed the Christ, the perfect uh, uh, priest and prophet, a priest anointed as a sacrifice uh, to remove our sin. He was anointed a prophet to speak truth about us, about our condition as humanity, and to speak truth about himself. And as we'll see later as we're studying the Gospel of Matthew, he was also the Christ anointed to be our final Sabbath rest. He is the Christ who is the temple, the presence of God who meets with us. He is the Christ, the anointed. Well, let's look at this title. I'm trying to move relatively quickly here of the son of David. Uh, Matthew uses this here. He actually uses it. It's referenced uh, nine different times. Matthew records that he is given this title, son of David. It's obviously in reference to the fact that he is from this royal line, that he's a king, but even more specifically, a king of healing, because when others take that name up and say, you, son of David, referring to Jesus of Nazareth, oftentimes it's in reference to his tender capacity to heal. I'll give you one example. Matthew 9, a blind man comes to Jesus and says, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, son of David. He was mighty and yet a tender healing king. At times, of course, that would be ultimately a temporary healing. Even the people that Jesus healed, even those 
Lazarus, who he raised from the dead, eventually would die. But ultimately he comes back and because of his resurrected, glorified body, we too will experience healing and resurrection. That's the great hope of the saints. Someday, finally, because of his resurrection. I was speaking this past week with uh, a dear saint, dear woman, uh, Ann Endicott. Some of you know Ann. She and her uh, daughter, Jen, soon after COVID, were finding a church that actually met in person, found our church. They used to sit uh, over where Lana Mary Claire are right now, and they, uh, they were a delightful couple. It's a mother and a daughter, and uh, her daughter, Jen, who was around my age, had uh, a condition, multiple complications uh, with spina bifida, and she died in her sleep. I buried her soon after COVID in the, te- in the center of town in Pembroke. And just recently, this past week, found out that she has cancer. She's grieved. She grieved 11 years ago, her, her husband, John, dying. Uh, now she's grieving uh, her daughter. Uh, and now she's grieving her own health and the prospect of losing her own life. She's in the hospital. I'm going to call her this week, and I'm going to remind her. I've already talked to her a couple of times on the phone, and she thinks she's the one being blessed. I'm the one being blessed. Because I hear testimony of a woman who has great faith in a king who is the son of David. She is scared, but she is a hopeful, faithful widow, a disciple of Jesus. And I want to call her this afternoon when I'm driving home to remind her that Jesus is these things. Another title is the son of Abraham. Jesus came, not only we see down this list of biological descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those are the descendants of, of, of what we know to be Israel. The title, the son of Abraham, is in no way limiting Jesus to being just for the Jews, of course. We know that, that wasn't even a, a latter development. It was the very promise from the get-go to Abram. And it, obviously, as we read in our New Testament reading, it didn't seem too possible that he would make good on a promise that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, when, they, when Sarah was, was barren and, and had no children. Yes, yeah, she did laugh. And, and, and we, they all found it hard to believe and God answered that and raised up a whole nation. But when the promise was given in Genesis 12, it says this, and mind you, Abram was, he was an outsider. He was a pagan. And God set his affection on him and his descendants. But the promise was to go farther. In Genesis 12 Go from your country, the Lord said to Abram, Genesis 12, 1. You and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Why? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So as a reminder, uh, maybe this is not a reminder. It's the first time you've heard this. Folks, uh, if you are united to Christ by faith, you have been adopted into a family, engrafted, enfolded, and included in a blessed covenant community. Because he, Jesus, the head of the church, is the son of Abraham, a blessing to the nations altogether. Okay, well, let's move on to this long list of people. Who are these people? Some of them, they're only named here. But these, 
these people listed in such a way that Matthew even wanted to, uh, to attain to a, a measure of, of symmetry. Look at verse 17. Generations from Abraham to David were 14. And, and then, and then, and then they, they, they go off into exile into Babylon because God punished his people. And then there's another 14 generations. What do we know about this list? What, what are the names? What are the details of their lives in some measure convey or communicate? Well, a great deal could be said. Uh, you know, I'll try to summarize. Jesus, clearly, one of the things that we learn here is that Jesus comes from a very royal line. Um, not, not just with David. There's actually 15 different kings uh, listed in this genealogy. Uh, about half of them to a person uh, are, are faithful, uh, godly Kings, men of, men of faith like David and uh, Josiah and Hezekiah. Maybe I'll name one of my dogs that. Uh, the other half of those kings were wicked, truly wicked. Ahaz, Manasseh, some of them even murdering innocent people. But all of them on this list, every one of them, even the most, of, uh, the most faithful, were sinners like me and like you. It also should be noted that it's interesting, this would not have been the case in the ancient Near Eastern world, that Matthew decides to include the names of four women in here. I don't know if you caught that. Tamar, verse 3, Rahab, verse 5, and Ruth also. And then the, the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, in verse 6, Uriah's wife. Just a few notes that I think are just worthy just to, com, uh, to contemplate when you think of this genealogy. And these women included three out of the four women were Gentiles. Entirely outside of the covenant community of promise. But people like Ruth, a Moabite, who was engrafted, again, adopted into the people of promise and the family of God. And, I, and how do I say this delicately? But three out of those four women were also prostitutes or adulterers. What, 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 what's the point of having these names and these details and, and, and anyone who has some, some familiarity? Why? Except to say that Jesus clearly comes from a royal line and a very much a human line. His family, his descendants, or the descendants he comes from, he, he needed to save his own people, his own family from their sins. The last part of the genealogy, when you pick up at verse 11 down through verse 16, what do we see except Israel, the people of God, are suffering because of the consequences of their sin and unbelief. And yes, they're even banished into Babylonian exiles. Their own borders are invaded uh, Jesus, uh, you know, his, his ancestors were losing their wealth, their land, their health. They were losing their reputation uh, and their rank as king. We learn that there is a God of great mercy and compassion in the Lord Jesus because of these names. We, like them, are all unclean. We're all unworthy. Think of how broken and unclean our human nature is and how much condescension it takes for Jesus to be born with human likeness, made and birthed because of, uh, in, in, because of the working of the Holy Spirit through Mary, who also is the other woman, of course, 
that I failed to mention uh, that is so important here. Think of how the Messiah is born to these. J.C. Ryle, uh, the the old uh, Anglican bishop, helped me on this one. He says, we should always read this catalog with thankful feelings. We see here that no one could partake no, no one who partakes of human nature can get beyond the reach of Christ's sympathy and compassion. Our sins may have been as black and great as those of any whom Matthew names here, but they cannot shut us out of heaven. If we repent and believe the gospel, if Jesus was not ashamed to be born of a woman whose pedigree contains such names as those we've read today, we need not think of that he will be ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, and to give us eternal life. Who are these people? These are people like us. The last question, well then, how is this all connected and how are we related? This isn't a question of how we're related through the ages biologically or something. But, it, but how do we relate to, to one another? How do we relate to this king. You know, our hope ultimately is not in our family of origin. Some of you would probably say amen about now. Um, Maybe not. Maybe some of you are delighted and proud and grateful. I don't know. It doesn't matter. That's not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is that we've been adopted by the Spirit of God into a spiritual family and community, a family of promise. How do you relate to the head of that family? The king of the Jews. The son of Abraham, the son of David. How do you relate to him? It's, it's one way or another. It's not nothing, it, you know. The title son of David means that he's a forever king and he's true to that promise. And then the promise that is fulfilled that he is the son of Abraham means that he is a king for every, everyone. He's a forever king and a king for everyone. Regardless of, of, of what cultural, ethnic lines, even morally, he is, there's a diversity here that we have a God who is including outsiders. His kingdom and his family, as we read, as was told, as was promised to Abram in Genesis 12, would be a blessing to the nations. Again, a forever king for every one. So maybe just a few takeaways, you know, some points for our consideration and application. One is, I think it would be wise and well, even as, as, as J.C. Ryle said, when we look at this list, that we thank God. The compassion that he has shown and showered on us uh, as sinners, that he would call us brothers and sisters, that we have an elder brother uh, who is, is so compassionate, we should thank God, who understands us. The second thing, when I read this and, and think of how to, uh, to appropriate and apply a text like this is, we would be wise to pray for the next generation. When you consider the list of names, we see and we discover, well, we rediscover, of course, the obvious, which is the sinfulness and the, and the corruption of our human nature. But we clearly observe how many, many faithful and godly parents listed here in this catalog had wicked, ungodly children. I mean, the, the names, it's almost like it, it, it vacillates back and forth. 
It would, think of Rehoboam and, and, and Amnon. We studied those back with the life of David in 2 Samuel. This should be a humbling lesson to us. They had faithful fathers, but they were wicked men. Friends, grace doesn't run in families biologically. It needs something more than good examples and good advice to make people children of God. Jesus told us clearly in John 1 that we to encounter, to enjoy, to be enfolded in, ultimately, to be forgiven and surrendered to Christ, we must be born again. Not, not, Jesus says in John 1, not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Parents, and not just parents, but church family for our children, we should be praying. We should be praying regularly that our children might be born of the Spirit of God. It is a blessing. And God does work through the covenant community. I'm not saying that. But ultimately, our children must be born of the Spirit. And we should pray towards that end. Last, I think it's just true when I think about it, particularly in, in, in terms of this time of year and just our responsibility as known, hopefully you're known in your family and your, uh, your, your cul-de-sac or your, your workplace or school, young people, as a follower of Christ, are you? This is the time of year that we can bear witness that we are part of that adopted family. We're so grateful for a king and a savior, Jesus, who means a, a lot more to us than, a, you know, a song uh, on our favorite, you know, Christmas, you know, soundtrack, Christmas movie soundtrack. We sometimes make fun, pastors talk about the birth and resurrection crowd. Some of you call them CEO Christians, Christmas, Easter only. I know. But what I want to remind you is that the titles of Jesus here and the list of this, this family list shows us that everyone was outside the covenant community. He brought us, excuse me, he, Christ, the head of the church, had to purchase. So he bought us with his precious blood and he brought us into the fellowship, to the kingdom, into the family. Praise be to God. Thanks be to God. I want to close with Another quote from uh, J.C. Ryle. Even as we think about the, 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 the beginning of a study, now you know, changing genre into uh, the Gospels, in his expository thoughts, J.C. Ryle uh, on the, the Gospels, he writes this, the New Testament begins, and, and I, I'm, I'm reading this because I want you to lean into how would you describe your relationship? Yes, he is a child only named as part of a, a genealogy here, who will become a king and he has or has not been raised and he will or he will not come back. We, of course, believe because he has been raised that he will come back. This is a whole passage about how God makes good on his promises, so we believe that. But how do you relate to him? Think of this. 
Think of this. The New Testament begins with the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. No part of the Bible is so important as this, and no part is so full and complete. Four distinct Gospels tell us the story of Christ doing and dying. Four times over, we read the precious account of his works and his words. How thankful we ought to be for this. To know Christ. Do you know him? This is what Ryle says. To know Christ is life eternal. To believe in Christ is to have peace with God. To follow Christ is to be a true Christian. To be with Christ will be heaven itself. We can never hear too much about Jesus Christ. Which is why we are going to remember and celebrate at this table. And then we're going to sing, what child is this? Not that we don't know. We know. And so I want you to sing with gladness, hopefully by faith with some gusto. And just think of these words which we're about to say. The King of Kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise the song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born. The babe, the son of Mary. So we have a responsibility in relationship to him. To enthrone him. As king, not, not, not reduce him to a concierge, not to make him our personal assistant, but to enthrone him in all the details and priorities of our life by faith as king. Father, let us surrender more and more, I pray, to this king, the son of Abraham, the son of David, in our lives, in our families, in our communities. Father, where there's unbelief, where there's injustice, where there's disobedience, would you please bring repentance and let it begin with us, Lord. Where there's grief, even especially around the holidays, I pray that you'd bring hope to people. Where there's division, I pray there would be unity. Uh, Where there's people struggling with sickness, I I ask that you would bring King Jesus your healing touch. I specifically this morning pray for Dottie Neal, for Roberta Carmichael, and yes, Lord, for Ann Endicott as she's in a hospital in Vermont. There are others, Lord, who are battling temporary viruses and illnesses. There's others that are dealing with long-term illnesses. Lord, I, I pray your blessing on families who are caring for elderly family members. Lord, I, I pray for young moms who are expecting and caring babies. Lord, I pray right now as we move into this month and this season for uh, those who are away from family, those who are deployed, who are serving elsewhere, those who are missionaries, I especially lift up Colin and Zuri in West Africa. I'm sure they miss family. Lord, would you make us bold witnesses this Christmas season to the compassion and the hope and the holiness of Jesus to our neighbors and yes, even to our children. And we do pray, God, that you would raise up even within our children and this church family a group of young people who will love righteousness and trust you by faith and serve your kingdom purposes. We pray all this in Jesus' name, even now as he together taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our 